Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Community is Our Middle Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grandpits Community Health. My name is Gareth Oliver. Great to be with you for another week. And this week, I am speaking with uh, our non-residential withdrawal nurse here at Grandpins Community Health, Emma, about uh, alcohol, what alcohol does to our bodies and our mind, our relationships with alcohol. And we also touch on things like Dry July and uh, the impact that quitting alcohol cold turkey can have on your body if you are a fairly regular drinker. Uh, really interesting discussion, and I think it's something that we need to all be looking at uh, as Australians, because it is something that is, you know, rightly or wrongly ingrained in Australian culture. So here it is, my chat with our non-residential withdrawal nurse, Emma, on the Community Is Our Middle Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grandpins Community Health. And we are, of course, here for you, your family, and our community. I'm joined by Emma, who is a non-residential withdrawal nurse here at Grandpins Community Health, and who you may remember, if you were listening way back in the very first episode we spoke around uh, Overdose Awareness Week, we're talking about uh, alcohol and the effects that alcohol can have uh, on our bodies and, and, and on our lives, because it is dry July, and I thought, who better than our, our resident nurse to have a chat to about this sort of stuff? So, Emma, thank you very much for coming on the podcast again. Thanks for having me back, Gareth. I feel very special. We have a couple of re- recurring guests, so we might keep you in a, as a uh, bit of a recurring role in the back pocket. We were just talking off air, and one of the first things we need to get across is that Grandparents Community Health is about harm reduction. We're not necessarily saying to everyone, you know, abstinence is key from things like alcohol and, and other drugs. We are harm reduction, aren't we? Absolutely, and I think that's really important to get off uh, to get out in the the very beginning of the podcast, just to let us know that, you know, for everyone, abstinence is not the key, and we do need to work on about what is safe for each individual and for their family and their community. Yeah, and we're not going to discourage anyone who thinks that abstinence is the way to go. If that's something that they choose to do, fantastic. But but we're more about. You know, making sure that people know the risks and know what, what might happen and are educated in taking those risks before they go and do so or to, to help them safely withdraw from, from drugs and alcohol. Because I didn't realize this, Emma, until you and I were talking off air, just how dangerous it can be to go cold turkey off alcohol. Absolutely. So um, I think that's one of the most common misconceptions around alcohol. A lot of people think, you know, as long as my liver is functioning fine, that's all good. There's no problems with alcohol. Um, but unfortunately, when people do just cease alcohol, it can be one of the most dangerous drugs to just stop and it can actually cause death. So um, a lot of people think that I'm, you know, get quite extreme and I can be quite harsh when I talk about this. But if someone does come in and see me and they're they're drinking on a daily basis, I actually need to do a full assessment and make sure that, you know, they are safe to stop. We have very strict guidelines to make sure that, you know, a person doesn't just die. But because it is a central nervous system depressant, um, it can actually cause people to have the tremors and cause them to have seizures. And that's where the real serious complications can come on board. I didn't know until we were speaking off air that that can be dangerous because you, you hear all about the withdrawals that people have from 
going cold turkey on, on other drugs of dependence and alcohol is a drug of dependence or can be a drug of dependence. Uh, but you, I, I would say that the majority of people didn't realize that about alcohol. Um, how important is it that people know just how, how dangerous it can be, not just drinking to excess, but then if you do drink to excess, just all of a sudden stopping? I think it's really important um, that we get that information out there because, it, as I said, like nobody really knows this. And generally it doesn't happen straight away for someone, but every time you go through a withdrawal, it adds an extra layer of complication. So if you drink every day for a month and then stop um, for a month and then drink every day for a month and then stop for a month, every single withdrawal that you have will be moving you closer to having a serious withdrawal-related complication. And some of those are the seizures that we talk about or delirium, hallucinations. And those are all warning signs for me to be able to make sure that if you are going to come in and do a withdrawal, we need to put you into a space where it is um, more secure and more monitored. Good information to get out there for people, I think. We also talked a little bit before we started recording about the relationships that, that people can have with alcohol, be it cultural or personal or, uh, you know, even if it's, as I've spoken before on the podcast, you know, in relation to social activities that we do, such as perhaps you, you go out for a drink with, with workmates after work or, you know, after at the local footy club after a game on a Saturday night. Can you talk a bit more about about the relationships that people have with alcohol? And I think in Australia, it's really difficult when it comes to alcohol. Not only do we have these really serious um, alcohol withdrawal complications that can happen, but also it's legal and it's everywhere. So in Australia, it might be that somebody, you know, it's, you have a good day, we celebrate with alcohol. We have a bad day, we, we commiserate with alcohol. Um, and social connections, it's really difficult to go to a place and say, no, nah, mate, I'm okay, I don't want to have a drink. Um, you know, for a woman, if somebody says no, it's generally or must be because they're pregnant or for a man, you know, what's going on with you? It, the only real excuse is that I'm driving. But even then in the country, that's still not always a, an excuse for people not to have a beer at the end of the day. Um, and because of all of these things, it makes it really difficult for someone who is starting to recognize that their relationship with alcohol might be problematic because, you know, it's, it's everywhere. It's out there. We can't even walk into a supermarket in most of our towns within our region without actually having to walk past a bottle shop. So it's there. It's in our faces. It's on our TV and it's on our radio. So how do people who are starting to, you know, recognize that this relationship might not be quite right for them? How do they actually come to a spot where they, they are going to stop or, or how do they learn to say no? Yeah. And I can speak a little bit to this as a person who, who is a non drinker. Uh, I, I don't drink. I haven't for a number of years. It's sort of the expectation if you, if you go somewhere or you do something with someone, they say, Oh, thanks. You know, I'll buy you a beer later on. Or, or something like that. It, it's uh, it's just so ingrained in our in our psyche as Australians, isn't it? Absolutely. That currency of beer gets me every single time. It's like, come on, take them out for a meal, or you know, go and watch a game of footy. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a slab of beer as a as a currency. It's it's funny how that, that's just the way that it is. It's, it seems to be, uh, especially here in regional areas, Emma. Although. I don't know. You, you probably don't have the stats on hand, and I'm just I'm just spitballing from the top of my head here. Is drinking becoming less of an issue for for younger people? I think, I, and I'm going to pull stats from nowhere because I just remember reading this somewhere that younger people are, are drinking less than what their parents and grandparents might have. Yeah. So um, there are definitely changes within 
the relationships of alcohol across the generations. Now, unfortunately, I do not have the statistics on me at the moment. Um, I have read lots and lots of different stuff about it. The different types of alcohol that are being consumed and probably at a lower rate. So in terms of um, there are, you know, more spirits and things being consumed rather than um, beer and wine. But then you're looking at over the pandemic, there has been an increase of um, alcohol consumed, you know, by um mothers working from home or sorry to generalize but you know um or mothers and fathers working from home and trying to homeschool and they're utilizing the alcohol as a coping mechanism and I think that's where the relationship really is changing because we haven't had the opportunity to be able to get out and about and use it as a social context people are recognizing that maybe they're not drinking in such a healthy manner because they're drinking at home as coping mechanism rather than that social kind of um you know relationship um, the number one, you know, reason why people do still come and see me. So I see people who are coming off all sorts of drugs and I, and I do call alcohol a drug as well. Um, but the number one drug of choice is still alcohol. And generally, um, most people who are coming in, you know, if they're not using alcohol on a daily basis and that being their main substance, it is one of their secondary or tertiary drugs of choice as well. Well done answering that question because I gave you no prep time at all for that. So you did a really, really good Thanks job. Thanks for throwing me in the deep end, <laughs> um, The other thing that, that I sort of touched on before we started rolling in and we'll, um, we can talk about it a little bit now is you hear people say that, you know, a, a glass of red wine is good for your heart um, and, you know, trying to justify that uh, that alcohol perhaps can't isn't that bad for you. Now, I'm sure that a glass of red every now and then probably isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, I mean, if you drink every every single day, you're smashing down a couple of glasses of red, you probably, you know, might need to make an appointment at GCH and come and talk to you. But this idea that, that some alcohol can almost be beneficial to your health, what do you make of that? So I think it's really important to recognise it doesn't matter how much you're drinking. Um, it just actually when it, having a look at when is it starting to become a problem for you. So I can talk about all of the physical and, and psychological aspects of alcohol use and all those different impacts. But people aren't going to make changes until they recognise that it's having a negative impact on themselves and their, their family and their community. Um, when it comes to alcohol being a positive influence on our life, unfortunately, you know, I'd like to be the bearer of bad news and say <laughs> that the World Health Organisation does actually classify alcohol as a carcinogenic, meaning that it will cause cancer. Um, there are many things in the world that will actually cause cancer, but it is it is basically a poison that we are putting into our bodies. So, yes, there may be some studies out there that show that it has some positive impact on our health some way, shape or form. But realistically, it just comes back to the question of, you know, is it causing you a negative impact on a day to day basis or even a weekly basis? Are you missing, you know, appointments? Are you going to work hungover? Um, you know, are you having difficulty with your memory? Those sorts of things, the depression and anxiety, you know, if those are OK and you're happy with your alcohol consumption, Go for it, continually going. But um, it's when those sorts of things start to kind of become a little bit of a problem within your life or you just recognise that, um, you know, it's it's getting a bit harder to get up in the morning after having a big night or that's when we really need to start looking at it. I, I would agree. And, yeah, you're right, a lot of things are carcinogens, but uh, I don't think this, people think of alcohol the same way as they think of something like if they're having uh you know, a cigarette, for example, which we has been shown time and time again causes cancer. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about what 
alcohol does to our our mind and body. How about we start uh, top down? How about we start uh, with our with our heads and and we'll start with our brains and and what alcohol actually does because alcohol, of course, is a depressant. Absolutely. So um, when you're looking at your, I suppose, your mental health, alcohol is disrupting the um, neurotransmitters within the brain. And that's probably the number one thing. So a lot of people will come in and say, initially, it might give me a little bit of a boost and it gives me some energy to be able to do things. But ultimately, what it is going to do is cause an increase in depression and anxiety, especially that next day. Um, And, you know, we're not able to regulate our, our moods quite as well when we have that alcohol in the system. Then it's also going to affect our sleep because um, our brain's not going to be able to relax enough. And that's going to be, you know, that's our major time where we rest and restore and we're able to, you know, get ready for the next day and to be able to better function. Um, some of the, the big things when it does come to our brain, like we recognize, you know, it's becoming more apparent that alcohol does affect our mental health. But more on a long-term kind of side of things is that alcohol actually affects our frontal lobe of our brain. So it affects our memory and our cognition. So you know those times, you know, that we walk into a room and we go, what did we, what were we coming in here for? We forgot something and then we walk out of there and come back in. You know, obviously generalization in this, but that can be the starts of of signs that, you know, maybe you're depleting in um, chemicals like thiamine, which is, causing our brain to be able to function properly. So, um, you know, I suppose when it does come to our brain, it is not just around our mental health, but it's around actually um, being able to think clearly, pull a sentence together, which I feel like I'm struggling to do today at times, um, and, and just to be able to keep that memory in, in really good nick. When you when you mentioned about walking into a room and thinking, why did I walk in here, I, that that, that's just that's me and I don't even drink so well, I'll have to I see what else so. is going that's on. A, it is definitely a generalization and it does happen a little bit with age and, and things as well but I think um, you know they they can be the start of warning signs you know when people are saying you said that already you've already repeated yourself um, and, and those can be things that we don't necessarily recognize within ourselves that we're doing but our family and friends can start feeding those back to us and going maybe that alcohol is actually impacting you a little bit more than what you thought. Yeah, and, and with the, the sleep, it, it affects the two main sleep cycles, doesn't it? And also leads you to be dehydrated, which is also not good for your brain. Absolutely not. So it, it is a diuretic and it does cause everything to process through a little bit quicker. It's also, you know, when it does come, I suppose, going, going back to the, the brain and the mental health side of things, it does make you lose your inhibitions and become more impulsive on that short term thing. So because it is a depressant, um, it's not going to be, you know, it in, impacts the medications that someone might be taking. So if you're already taking medications for your depression and anxiety, then you take alcohol on top of that, then it's going to cause more depression and anxiety. Then you've lowered your inhibitions. There is more of a chance that you're going, it's going to lead to actions of self-harm or suicide as well. So that might not be something that you would want to do when you are sober or, or not under the influence of alcohol. But once you put that alcohol on top, then there's, there's that possibility, which just you know, makes things a little bit more dangerous. So I'm going to ask you another technical question here without without notice, Emma. What, what does alcohol actually do to our brains to make us lose those inhibitions? So basically what happens is the way that it's processed is alcohol goes into our mouth and starts to get absorbed very, very minimally in the mouth and the tongue. Then it comes down 
through the esophagus into the stomach, um, depending on whether or not there's food in there, it starts to digest. When it's in the stomach, then and then through into the intestines, and it, if there's no food in the stomach, then it will go into the intestines, which will then absorb into the body quicker. Thing is, um, alcohol is very water soluble, so it will it will absorb into the bloodstream very quickly. And because it's actually getting into the bloodstream, it then processes through the entire body, which will go straight into the brain. I'm not sure if this is answering your question correctly, but, you know, once it's in the brain, um, that's where it's going to start having those effects on those neurotransmitters. So because it's in the bloodstream, it's going through absolutely every part of the body before it's then expelled. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. You answered the question beautifully that I sprung on you with absolutely no notice. Well done. So this is why we have Emma at uh, at Grampians Community Health as our non-residential withdrawal nurse. She knows this stuff backwards. Emma, alcohol also slows our metabolism down, doesn't it, and can uh, can can lead to weight gain. Absolutely. So um, it's also very high in sugar as well. So it can also lead to type 2 diabetes, has impacts on the pancreas, on our kidneys. Um so, yeah, can cause weight gain. The other thing that, you know, a lot of people don't like talking about is that actually when you are drinking on a regular basis can cause diarrhea. Um, and that's not a lovely kind of um, component of alcohol use. And there's a lovely term for people who are, are binge drinking often is the AGB. Um, it's something that we don't want to stop. We actually need to have that diarrhea to be able to get some of those chemicals throughout the, out of the body. Because again, as I said, it, it is a chemical that our body is not used to having. And our cells will adapt and change to be able to get used to having that on a daily basis or on a regular basis, even weekly. Um, but once it's in there, we do need to be able to get rid of some of those chemicals to stop the toxicity within the body. It's um, it's fascinating just how much stuff it actually does do to your body because it's really bad for your heart as well, isn't it? Absolutely. So, it can, um, again, you know, it is travelling through the bloodstream, so it can have a massive impact on our heart. Um, it can you know, increase your chances of having heart attacks or just heart rates um, for some people, you know, when they are going through regular withdrawals as well. It can make changes to the rhythm of our heart. The liver is the one that, that often gets spoken about when people talk about you know, what happens to people who have issues with alcohol. What actually does it do to your liver? So in terms of our liver, um, what it can do is initially it can cause um, like a acute hepatitis kind of sensation. So the liver is a fantastic organ. It goes and goes and goes and goes. And then all of a sudden somebody might wake up and they're completely orange. So the liver is not processing properly. If they stop drinking or stop doing whatever it is that's causing them damage to the liver at that particular point in time, the liver can then refunction and start to kind of repair itself. But what happens is if then the behavior is repeated, whether, you know, whatever it may be that the, the is affecting the liver, then it will cause more permanent damage. So initially what will happen is that there will be scarring of the liver and then from there it can actually cause into cancer. I think one of the, the major reasons why we sort of talk about the liver a lot is because it is processed through that way. And then on top of that, um, it, it, we have these wonderful blood tests that we can look at our liver function really easily just to be able to see what's going on. And there's some pretty good indicators to show, well, maybe you are drinking too much or, or maybe um, there is some damage going on there. And it can be quite black and white. Whereas, you know, the brain, that could be a lot of other different things as well. Um, the heart 
you know, your heart rates and um, high blood pressure, that could be impacted by other lifestyle factors as well. What other negative things we haven't mentioned uh, can, can alcohol do to a, to a person? One of my favourite is bone health. So um, a lot of people don't really think about osteoporosis and their bone health, but um, our bones are amazing and they are you know, become formed within our teenage years. So if we're actually exposed to alcohol consumption in our teenage years, what it does mean is that our bones aren't going to form that same density as what they would have if the alcohol wasn't in there, if that makes sense. Um, so that affects us when we get older. So if we've got the alcohol in there as a teenager, our bones, are go- our bones do kind of repair or rejuvenate every, you know, depending on the bone, depending on the depends on the amount of years, but each time they lose some of their density. So if you don't have that really strong tree trunk to begin with and you've only formed a twig, by the time you get to 70 or 80 and you fall over, you're more likely to have um, a higher rate of fractures and osteoporosis and, and things like that. So um, I think that's a really big one for teenagers that, that we want to be strong and we want to have big muscles and we want to be able to have really strong bones for our entire lifespan. But having that impact of alcohol in there as a teenager can actually significantly impact our um, lives as we get older. And another thing that, that especially a lot of guys probably don't want to talk about, Emma, is it can lead to some issues in the bedroom, can't it? It can lead to erectile dysfunction, among other things. Absolutely. So I think the two two major things that people don't necessarily like talking to me about, but will sort of start to talk to me on the sly once they start to get to know me a little bit more, and is, is that that bowel function stuff and the diarrhea and then the erectile dysfunction and the problems within the bedroom. So, um, you know, a lot of the people that I am seeing do have a lot of mental health concerns because alcohol or substance use, you know, is a self-medication tool quite often. So the medications that they're already on can have a significant impact on that. And then on top of that, putting the alcohol in there and not being able to perform can have a huge impact on our mental health as well. So, a lot of people do recognise that once they do reduce their alcohol intake or they cease completely, then that sort of stuff does start to come back. But there are definitely things that we can talk about to be able to try and improve that for an individual. So we're talking as well about alcohol this month because it is July uh, and dry July is is happening. You spoke about how stopping can be can be dangerous now, uh, and that's 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 probably not for your you know social drinker. It's probably more for your your heavy drinker, isn't it? Just stopping completely. Um, look, I think that it, it really is really difficult without having a um, individualized treatment plan for a person. I can't tell you like this is, I can't really give medical advice, but I think it is just something to be important uh, to, to think about. If you are drinking, you know, every weekend and you are drinking to excess, you still may have some withdrawal-related complications. They may not be the serious ones, but you might still have some withdrawal-related complications. So it is really important to get on board with your doctor. Um, We can get alcohol out of the system completely through the withdrawal symptoms in sort of five to seven days usually, and the onset of withdrawal symptoms usually start within sort of six to 24 hours of the last drink. So, you know, there are medications that we can help someone, you know, give someone to be able to get them through that five to seven days really safely. But it, it is something that I would say, look, it is worth having a chat to your GP about, if, even if you are only drinking sort of on once or twice a week, um, because it really does depend on the history of, of everything else that's going on for you at that particular time. What do you make of things like, like Dry July, where people 
give up alcohol for for a month. I mean, it's a, it it raises money for uh, for for charity. I'm, and off the top of my head, I can't remember what charity it raises money for. It is a good cause. Um, but from a, a health profession standpoint, what's your take on someone just saying I'm giving up completely for a month? It's a really interesting question, that one, because I do have a bit of a love-hate relationship with these sorts of things. I think it's really fantastic for us to all stop and just check in with our relationship with alcohol. Um, you know, what are we using it for? Is it a coping mechanism and is it a negative or a positive coping mechanism for you? Those that know me know that, you know, I run and that's my coping mechanism. And a lot of people will will say that that could be also a, a very negative one at times. And that's correct. So I do need to check with in with myself with that. So I use months like Dry July, Oxoba and um, FebFast to really check in with my caffeine intake and my running and just making sure that those things are OK. So if it can actually if we can assess what's actually happening, what the alcohol is actually giving us, then that's fantastic. You know, for some people, what can happen with these months is that they have a month off and they do really well and they think that that's, that's fantastic. But then it comes to the 1st of August and they go through a complete binge and they continue to drink. And if, if you pick up levels of drinking of alcohol higher than what they were in June, well, then that's a concern. You know, what was it that it actually gave you? Um, it does give our chance, our body a chance to be able to rest and repair and the cells to be able to reform and readapt to, to living without having a central nervous system depressant in there. But what does it do long term to continually have these um, kind of breaks? So breaks are good, yes, but what is the reason behind your break? And, and really having more of an understanding about um, what your relationship with alcohol is. And as I said you know, earlier, every time you do have a withdrawal, it does increase your chances of having a withdrawal-related complication. So if someone was going to do Dry July, and I would never discourage anyone from doing Dry July, I think, you know, especially if you do it properly and you're raising money, do you think they should almost do some sort of training during um, May and June where they, they slowly reduce their alcohol consumption till they get to July and then you can do Dry July? Absolutely. And that's one of the ways that I definitely do work when it comes to withdrawal from alcohol. So if a person is looking at coming to abstinence, I generally do work on that that slow reduction of alcohol to, to really understand, well, one, what is your relationship with, that, with alcohol um, and how do you then utilise other coping mechanisms and what is happening within your body for the withdrawal? And one of my number one things is, you know, we don't run a marathon without doing any training because we're going to get injured, we're going to hurt our bodies. You know, it's, it's not a great thing to do for us physically or psychologically because then we will think that we're a failure and we can never do that again. But if we put the right training in and that's something that we can definitely do and and I think these months like dry July October and Feb fast we do sort of almost need to see a bit like a marathon especially if you have been drinking on a regular basis yeah I, I think so too and I think if you put your perspective like that for a lot of people it would probably mean more by saying that you know it's just like if you're going to go on and and play football you're not going to run out and run around in the noble for two hours with with no training beforehand you like anything you have to practice and you have to train and and, and get your body uh, to where it needs to be. Emma, before we, we finish up this episode, uh, it's been a, a really interesting discussion. Is there anything you'd like to, to get across to people who might be listening about their relationship with alcohol or if they are looking at, at either cutting back or quitting? So just before I talk about the relationship with alcohol, I just want to quickly add one more thing in there, just about the effects 
on the body um, is that alcohol actually does really impact our immune system. And just with um, COVID and, and we're kind of going through another increase of um COVID waves at the moment. And I just think it's really important that as a coping mechanism, a lot of people for, for COVID and all this news, and it's, it's very stressful, a lot of people are turning to alcohol, but it actually will reduce your immune system and then make you more susceptible to be able to get, well, pick up coughs, colds and things like COVID. So sorry, Gareth, just a little side note. No, 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 that's, that's the whole point is we, we want to <laughs> learn things. People listening to this, including myself, we need to learn stuff. Um, but just, I suppose, in terms of your relationship with alcohol, like alcohol is a legal substance. It's available everywhere. As I said, you can't even walk into many of our local supermarkets without having to walk past alcohol. It's it's out there and it's a really ingrained in the Australian culture. What I do think is that everybody has a very, very different relationship with alcohol. And it's really important to not push your relationship with alcohol on anybody else. So really big on that. You know, it's OK to say no. So if somebody offers you a drink and you say no, that's OK. Or if you offer somebody a drink and they say no, that's completely OK. Don't ask them again. You know, that's that's it. If they say no, they say no. They're quite capable of being able to go and get their own drinks if they do change their mind. Um, and just making sure that, you know, when it does come to alcohol, that you do have it's it's hard. Like I, I kind of say rules and regulations in it, but it's more about check ins and making sure that, you know, at the beginning of the night, you know where you want to be when it comes to your alcohol intake. So, you know, if you want to go and, and enjoy a bottle of wine with dinner or have a dozen beers with your mates after work, that's completely fine. But making sure that you do have a way to get home, you're not going to be getting in the car and putting others in danger, making sure that you have those limits behind it and you're not pressured into or forced into having more than what you're actually feeling comfortable with. Um, I think those sorts of things are really, really important when it comes to alcohol. But just recognising that everybody really does have a different relationship with alcohol. Alcohol is is okay. It's completely fine. You know, I do have a have a drink on an, on the occasion, and that's okay because I know what my relationship with is with it. And as long as it's not becoming the only coping mechanism. Um, that's when we sort of need to start having concerns. And there's some really great things out there to be able to kind of connect you up to other people who might be thinking about their relationship with, with alcohol. And, and there's things like Smart Recovery or um, Hello Sunday Morning that you can sort of start to explore. You know, Sober in the Country is another great one. It, it doesn't have to be, um, all, all events don't have to be meaning that you're going to get intoxicated. And also, if you are going out with your mates or whatever, look out for for each other. If if you think someone's going to is going a bit overboard with it, or or that they might drive after having a few too many, it's okay to speak up and and tell your friends. Look, you know, I'm a bit concerned. Maybe we need to uh, to slow down a bit, or I'll call you a, a cab, or something like that, or I'll I'll give you a lift home for having been driving. Um, Emma, thank you very much. It's been uh, it's been a, a really interesting discussion, and um, we might catch you again in November to talk about Movember. Fantastic! Thank you very much for having me again, Gareth. I really appreciate it. Thank you once again to Emma for coming on the podcast, our non-residential withdrawal nurse, and talking a bit about the effects of alcohol on our bodies and on our mind and on our lives in general. Now, we did speak in the podcast about 
that there has been a drop in younger people drinking, and we didn't cite any studies or, or any articles in the podcast because um, I sprung that on Emma with no notice, so that was my fault. However, uh, I, I have since recording that podcast found a study from La Trobe University that came out uh, a few years ago now, uh, not not too long ago, um, that showed that uh, there has been a decrease in drinking for younger people. So um, for young people uh, aged 12 to 17, so adolescents, um, from 1999 to 2015, there was a 45% decrease in alcohol use, monthly alcohol use, and four out of every five young people aged 12 to 17 are abstaining from alcohol altogether. And in a similar time period, monthly risky drinking amongst young adults aged 18 to 24 declined 15% between 2001 and 2016, which is great news. Um, hopefully, it means that young people are... Um, are taking more care of themselves and really heeding the messages that, look, it is okay to have a drink every now and then. And of course, at GCH, we, are, we don't promote abstinence, we promote harm minimization and risk reduction. But uh, you've got to look after yourself and do what's right for you. So, And I think Emma articulated that really well in the podcast. Of course, Grampians Community Health is the people who bring us the Communities of Middle podcast every month, and Grampians Community Health offers a wide range of services right across Western Victoria, covering the local government areas of the Northern Grampians Shire, Arrett Rural City, Horsham Rural City, West Wimmera Shire, Hindmarsh Shire, Yarriambiak Shire, Bullock Shire, Southern Grampians Shire, Pyrenees Shire, and Central Goldfields Shire. Services available from Grampians Community Health include alcohol and other drug support, including our non-residential withdrawal nurse, uh, carer support, family violence support, gambling help, aged care and NDIS support, including NDIS support coordination and plan management, mental health support, counselling across a wide range of sectors, including generalist counselling, and much, much more. For more information, give us a call Monday to Friday business hours, 53587400. Or go to our website, gch.org.au, for more information about what we do and the services we provide. You can visit us on site as well, one of our main sites in Horsham, Stall, or Ararat. Uh, drop in and uh, our friendly customer engagement staff will be able to help you out, point you where you need to go and to who you need to speak to. You can follow Grampians Community Health on social media. So we're on Facebook, search for Grampians Community Health on there or type facebook.com slash Grampians Community Health into your uh, internet browser bar and it'll pop up on our page. You can give us a like there. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GCH Grampians is our handle on both of those or just search for Grampians Community Health and we'll pop up on there too. This podcast is available on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, iHeartRadio, anywhere good podcasts are found, Amazon Audible, uh, Google Podcasts, you name it, you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. Every single episode is available. And if you subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, for example, or on Spotify, you will never miss an episode. They'll get downloaded directly to your phone or whatever listening device you use. And if you are on Apple Podcasts and you subscribe and listen, if you'd like to give us a bit of a, a rating and a review, that would be really good. It does help people find the podcast and it does uh, help get our message out further. And, and the message of this podcast, of course, is about helping our communities. And that's what we're all about here at GCH. 
in general. The intro and outro music is an original composition performed by Andrew Parsons, and he created that especially for us, which was really nice of him. And we use that with his permission. So thank you, Andrew, once again. And this podcast was recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Jabwarong people. And we pay our respects to all elders past, present, and emerging. Got some great podcasts coming up for you in the next few weeks, guys. I'm really excited to uh, to get them out to you. Hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, very interesting. Emma is extremely knowledgeable, and I always learn something talking to her, whether it's uh, work-related or not. So I hope you guys have learned something as well and have taken something out of it. My name is Gareth Oliver. I really appreciate you listening to our podcast and spreading it around and getting the word out. It's It's been uh, wonderful to, to uh, get some of the, the great feedback that we've got. So thank you to everyone who listens. And uh, if you're a new listener, welcome and hope that you're going to continue to stick with us and, and listen to more stories. Uh, this is the Communities and Middle Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health for you, your family and our community. Until next time, so long. <laughs>